We are all very human and fallible, and yet we live in a society that rewards pretending we're not fallible, or the range of acceptable fallibility is narrow. We are constantly comparing our insides to other people's outsides and feeling inadequate and guilty, even ashamed. Trying to blend in means parts of ourselves will disappear, and we must then live in fear that we will be found out. Here, together, we will create a space where we can laugh, cry, and carry our suffering and hurts lightly. In the service of being deeply human. This is Life's Dirty Little Secrets. Welcome to Life's Dirty Little Secrets. I'm Emma Waddington. And I'm Chris McCurry. And today it is our great privilege to welcome Dr. Patricia Zarita Ona, known professionally as Dr. Z, not to be confused with the high-end guitar amplifiers of the same name. Uh, she is a clinical psychologist in Walnut Creek, California, director of the East Bay Behavior Therapy Center. She is the author of six books and the co-author of two more, topics ranging from helping teens with OCD and parents of teens to adults struggling with OCD and perfectionism and how to break free from our emotional roller coaster. She's the host of the Playing It Safe podcast as part of her mission to get people unstuck from ineffective playing it safe moves so they can start living a rich, purposeful, and meaningful life. And today we are going to be talking about perfectionism. So welcome, Dr. Z. Hello, Chris. Hello, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, this is wonderful. So perfectionism, how would you, how do you regard perfectionism and you know, how does that differ from just, you know, working hard? When I think about perfectionists, I'm thinking about the drivers, what leads people to over-repair, to work harder and harder, to do more and more, to jump from one goal into another goal. And what we know is that behind all, all, all those behaviors, there is a person that, one, deeply cares about what they do, whatever project they are participating on. Whatever role they have in their relationships in the family, they deeply care of the things or projects they're participating on. And at the same time, as much as they deeply care, they are also scared about being a failure or making mistakes. And that fear of being a failure or making mistakes can be really, really paralyzing for some of them. Or the other aspect of perfection is, is that a person is holding onto some rules how, about how things are supposed to be, how people should treat them, how they should perform. So it's a combination of these psychological processes, deeply caring about what you participate on, being afraid of being a failure, being afraid of making mistakes, and having these rules about how things are supposed to be that lead people to do all types of things. They spend hours and hours researching on information, internet. If they are going to host a dinner, they are searching for all the recipes and they are trying to prepare everything perfectly. They are definitely working harder and harder. So all that leads them at the end, on the one hand, to feel perhaps excited about what they're working on. And at the same time, if they don't check how these perfectionistic behaviors are working in their life, they can end up feeling very tired, depressed, ruminate, and struggling. So perfectionist is just this, this word that we use to talk about more the deeper drivers, deeply caring about what you do and being very scared about being a failure or making mistakes 
and holding on to rules about how things are supposed to be. So some of these rules, I imagine, are go back pretty, pretty far in one's history. Family of origin stuff. And we can come up with all kinds of, of crazy rules almost out of thin air when you're a child. So how do you see that in your work with folks in terms of kind of uncovering some of these rules? Because a lot of them, a lot of the rules we operate by are very implicit. And we, we don't even know we have that rule and, until we start to articulate it. And, and in my experience, just getting people to articulate the rule can be a therapeutic achievement in itself. That's right. That's right. That's such a great question. One of the things that I found is that most of my clients, when, when, when I'm working with them, some of them, they are aware that they have perfectionistic tendencies. A lot of them, they are not aware of them. All what they know is that they're very frustrated because they have been working harder on a project and things are not going well. And they are ruminating on that and they don't understand what's happening. So I think there is a lot of truth what you're saying, Chris, that Sometimes people are not aware of all this, how these rules are driving their behavior, how much they're being pushed to do more and more. What I have found very helpful is, of course, to slow down and step back in the work we're doing. That's always a good beginning, right? Um, and I usually start asking my clients for what really hurts, what's really, really the hardest part about that particular project, about that particular task they're struggling with. I want to understand to the T what's their experience. They were really distressed about it. As they are sharing what they are struggling with, I also try to ask them, what does your mind tell you? What is your mind trying to, to, to protect you, push you to do more and more? What will be the other side if you don't do this? So I think it takes a lot of diving in into unpacking where they are getting stuck. So I usually start with these, these stuck situations that they are dealing with. And I do ask questions again, that what is your mind working so hard to protect you from? What is your mind pushing you to do right now? I may ask questions, um, and how old is this thought? Is this a new thought? Is it only coming for this particular project? Or had, has this thought been before? And I'm referring to these rules, right? And what you find is that you do, it's exactly as you're saying, that there is a historical pattern that has been reinforced. People are holding on to rules since very early, since very, very early. It's not something that happened from one day to another day. They remember when they were children that were how they were approaching a task. They remember when they were teenagers, the rule that they were falling through. And there are many, many of these rules, right? I had a client a long time ago that had this rule about every time he had a conversation, he needed to throw a joke to make sure that the person reminds him, you know, with a smile on their face, because that's how he felt appreciated. So that was a behavior that he will always make the point to, right? And, and, and he was dealing with more what we call social perfectionism. Uh, so this rule was ingrained from very, very early. I think we cannot, in my work, I found that the way to catch these rules is to really by asking what were these moments of stuckness and unpacking them. And then mapping them, right? When you were a kid, how did this rule show up for you? When you were a teenager, when you were in your early 20s, when you were in like mid-20s. And you will see how people have hold on to this rule and then how they have been managing the rule throughout their life in different areas of their life. Well, I, and I think context would be important here too. I mean, it, making sure you tell a joke in every conversation you have is going to work great 
unless you're at the funeral. So, you know, rules have to be put up against the context in which, you know, you're operating. That's right. That's right. And perhaps that's one of the hardest parts when people are prone to duplicate about what they do and they quickly engage in perfectionistic actions that they are not discriminating. When sometimes working super ultra hard is the right thing to do, and when sometimes letting things go is also the right thing to do, right? Like there is no this context sensitivity about where you are in life. My day has X number of hours. How much can I get done in this amount of hours? What happens when I say yes to every single thing in front of me? So I think that that is why in my work, I like to talk about harnessing the power of perfectionistic actions. Uh, finding the golden nuggets of when working hard and harder is, is the right thing to do. And when sometimes letting things go and doing good enough things is also the right thing to do. I think something I was listening to you and thinking about that story, right? I think it's incredibly validating to know where those messages came from. Because sometimes, you know, working with clients and even myself, I can hear those messages in my parents, and people that looked after me. And in that context, perhaps that was the best thing I could do to get enough love, affection, attention, validation. That was the right context. Working really hard or making sure I didn't make mistakes was more likely to get me my needs in that context. But as we fast forward in the world I live in now, overstriving, needing things to be done perfectly, no longer gets me those needs and actually has lots of costs. And sometimes perhaps, you know, helping us and other people who are struggling with these behaviors notice that it did make sense then. It just no longer does today. can be very helpful and validating. It has been for me. That's right. That's right. I think one of the things that in the past has made me cranky is when, when we simply say people, let go of your standards, don't work so hard, right? I think those messages are also very invalidating. And there is so much, I think, messages in pop psychology and social media around that. Every client I have worked with has found those messages very invalidating because what we're describing, once they are historical. Second, they had had a purpose in their lives. It just happens that as people are moving in life, they were doing the best they could to manage, to manage, you know, how to get their needs met, to manage also their stories of not being good enough, right? So I think flipping the coin a little bit and noticing how this, how this fear of making mistakes has developed what their mind tells them when the mistake happens, what their mind tells them when something goes wrong, and really looking at the history of that makes a difference. I think it's a much more compassionate approach. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so much more compassionate and hopefully generating some self-compassion in the client. And, you know, instead of saying, you know, well, you're just doing it wrong, you know, to be able to say, well, yeah, of course, you have that rule. And of course, you're still trying to apply it to the current situation. It's just not fitting. Let's take a look at that. So yeah, it, it, is, it is very validating, but also opening up the possibility of, you know, we could shift this. That's right. That's right. I think the other alienating message that people have received is that, again, they have to drop their standards. So when I start working with clients who are prone to duplicate about the things, I capitalize that the work is not about letting it go of how much they care. 
is distinguishing how it really works in their life and when how, how they have to find their own freedom to relate to those values in a flexible way, right? Because again, I think when I work with these clients, if you ask them about what's behind the project they're working on or the resume they're working on or the book they're writing or the podcast they're working on, you will hear this strong attunement with what they really care. They care about disseminating, they care about they care about aesthetics, they care about creating something new, they care about the dinner they're going to host. So catching that, catching the value and what matters to them helps them to say, okay, are we holding into the value as a rule or as a principle? Right? That is an important question to ask them, right? As as I'm saying the word rule, I'm making a fist on my hand. So I will do that in my work with clients, right? Are you holding into that value as a rule like this? Or are we holding it flexible and dancing with what life is bringing to you right now? Because they're usually they're holding it like a rule, right? So I think making that distinction also can be very, very helpful to them on the sense that the work is not to stop caring or to stop doing things perfectly. The work is distinguishing when you have to let it go, when you have to hold the value more flexible and find what is in front of you without without rigidity i will say i just i just wrote down what you said dancing with what life is bringing now that's amazing that's wonderful isn't that what we all do that to the best we can sometimes we dance cha 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 sometimes we dance <laughs> I, I, I i don't know it's like my my wife loves to dance but she also wants to lead and uh, that <laughs> And I'm willing to let her lead, but it has created some problems before. So, yeah, I mean, dance, dancing with life is great is, as long as you know, we're allowing life to lead sometimes. That's right. That's right. As most often happens, right? That life is usually bringing to us all types of situations, right? From the moment we open our eyes to the moment we fell asleep, everything went off many times, right? That's just life. <laughs> well, Emma and our listeners know that I always have to throw in a quote. And so here, here, here we go. I'm, I'm going to quote the Roman Stoic Seneca, who said, the fates lead him who will, him who won't, they drag. <laughs> they certainly do drag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the quote. My goodness. <laughs> so, how do we know when we're when we're dancing well, and how do we know when first toes are getting stepped on? Wow, that's such a deep question. Yes, or being dragged. Yeah, in my work, I like to talk about these micro choice points. Every single moment when we deeply care about something, we're making a choice. In the case of working with perfectionists, is choosing. Am I approaching this task to manage my fears of being a failure? Or am I approaching this, ta- this task because it's going to expand my life? What we have is that with perfectionists, as we know, there is this a strong fear of being a failure and making mistakes, not being good enough. Because I'm afraid of this, I may overprepare. I may spend hours, again, searching information, going to the nitty-gritty of details. So when and, and people have this urge, right? This this urge to actually do things, right? So when my clients have that 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 strong urge to do things, to work the extra five hours, I ask them to check what's driving this. Am I trying to work more to just you know manage my fear of being a failure, or am I trying to do more because this is going to expand my life and it's something I deeply deeply care? 
that's a very subtle distinction. I think it's a very subtle distinction. Of course, when you duplicate about what you what you're participating on, there is there are going to be fears of making mistakes. But there is a difference when the fear of mistakes is loud and it's on your face and it's like heavy metal versus when you're pursuing your values and the fear of mistakes may be there, but it's a little bit softer and you know that this is something you want to pursue. So then distinguishing the experience of when people are making choices is one way to, to distinguish, right? We are dancing in an effective and a skillful way in life when we are acknowledging the time that we're living, what's happening in our lives, when we're making these intentional choices about the area that we want to prioritize in our life versus trying to do everything at once versus not checking how our behaviors are affecting our life and the relationship with ourselves. So that will be a short response. And I think that's what the, when we're talking about the gripping versus allowing, you know, the, the sort of dancing, it's the noticing that's really key. Are we gripping or are we dancing? How are we flowing with things? And that sense of stuckness is incredibly painful. Feeling really stuck and things not working feels visceral. And, you know, helping ourselves to lean into and being curious, what's this actually like for me right now, will help us to be more open and perhaps see some of the unworkability, because sometimes seeing the unworkability is very painful. Like we're doing something and wrong. Hard. And, and it's hard. Yeah. It's admitting defeat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you guys were talking, there is this. So I also might ask my clients to check what are you chasing here? Are you chasing an outcome or are you chasing the process of participating on this project? Because quite often we're going to be chasing a particular outcome that we don't have control of. Right. So it's also important to check what is my motivation here, right? What am I really, really chasing here? And in terms of motivation, I also invite my clients to ask, are you trying to avoid something? Are you trying to gain something like approval from others or feeling love or feeling seen? Right. So that's another key question for people to reflect on what's driving this urge. I also sometimes ask my clients to check as you have this urge. How are you relating to these standards, in particular when things go south? What are you really, really trying to manage here? So I think these reflective questions slow down again this automatic response of just going along with whatever these urges tell you to do, but require really to step back and reflect on the choices they are making and to check what drives those choices. And I guess thinking about, you know, the, the, the dirty little secret today. The reality is that when we get sort of, when we do engage in behaviors that could be described as perfectionistic, when we are pretty determined to make sure we do get to that outcome, or we, you know, work really hard to do things to a degree that we think people will be happy with, you know, what's, what's sitting behind all of that is the fact that we care deeply about whatever project or about whatever person we're working hard from. And it's not because, you know, there's something wrong with us that we can't stop behaving in this way. It's because that we care. It's because it's so important to us. And I think that's really important because a lot of people who have these really strong drives to work really hard and because they care very, very deeply, we can also be 
very critical when we don't meet those expectations. And the reality is that that criticism can also go on to the fact that we can't stop, you know, because those messages that we get often are, you know, just don't, you know, can't you just stop caring? I've had clients say to me, just stop caring. I've been told to stop caring. And it's so painful because there's a part of them that thinks, why can't I just stop caring? What's wrong with me? That just sort of adds to that. Mm. Yeah, adds to the fear of failure, right? I can't even stop caring. <laughs> and and the truth is that you can't stop caring. That is impossible. We just can't stop feeling. Well, I've sometimes brought that up with clients, you know, sort of in an ironic way. We'll just say, well, I mean, if you don't want to be anxious about, you know, school, just stop caring about school. <laughs> and if some teenager will go, what, what, what? I, 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 and I'll say, well, you know, if you're going to care, you get to feel X, Y, and Z, you know, right. and so let's, how, let's talk about that. Or, you know, just don't care about whether your child, you know, comes home at night. What? <laughs> That's right. Well, There's, you remind me years ago when I was starting to work on the book on perfectionism. I had a session with a teenager, of course, and this client was working on college applications. So it was working hard. It's challenging, very competitive, right? You can't imagine the stress that this person was going through. And then somehow, I don't know what was going on through my mind. I don't know. But they make this comment, like, I'm wondering how will it be to work until maybe midnight tonight and then wake up early tomorrow. Because every night, this teenager was working until 2, 3 a.m., waking up very late for classes and then rushing to school, right? This was going on for two weeks. So I remember, I don't know what was going on through my mind. The moment I finished saying that sentence, this teen looks at me and says, Dr. Z, did you smoke crack today? How can you tell me that? I have to get my, my essay done. <laughs> you know? And then we go, another is, well, how, can, how dare you? How can you ask me to not care and work harder and harder, right? <laughs> right. That's right. And it's so interesting because those two come together, caring and working hard, right? And, that, and that's yeah, part of the yeah. problem is that there are, well, there are two pieces. Yeah, there's, there's also caring and, and letting go. But I, I think it's also important for people to realize, and this is something that, in acceptance and commitment therapy, we talk about a lot where these values, these things that, you know, we, the things that guide our behavior, they, they, they need to be freely chosen. They need to be, this is a choice. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to care about my college applications. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm choosing to care about my child's safety or whatever it may be. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. I think that ownership Mm -hmm. It helps, you know, say, okay, you know, this is, this is my choice. This is, you know, what I've, now I have a bunch of decisions to make based on that choice. That's right. That's right. I think, you know, sometimes so there are certainly cases in which people are engaging in over-preparation or perfectionistic behaviors because they want to be perceived in a particular way by others. Right. I think there is also a little bit that, right? Social perfectionists, interpersonal perfectionists. 
So it is helpful to unpack really, right? That a value is something you're freely chosen that yep. matters to you. That is how you want to stand up for your life. That has nothing to do with how others perceive you, feel, or think of you because we don't have control of that, right? So sometimes there is a little bit that unpacking that we have to do on the values. Um, but at the core, I, I think there is this, this two sides of the coin, as Emma was mentioning, when you deeply care, you're going to be prone also to, to do more and more, right? The perfectionistic actions are going to go, they're going to turn up. And I think that's, that's why it's important to help people to check really how it's really working in my life and to help them to make this discrimination, which leads me to, to this other point I was going to make. One of the hardest things that I have found with my clients is on the one hand, self-criticism. Mm. which is really, really hard because they can be extremely compassionate with others, but really, really harsh with themselves. And sometimes they hold on to beliefs that by being tough with myself, I'm motivating myself. If I mm. am not tough with myself or critical with myself, I'm letting myself off the hook. And that's where certainly self-compassion practices or self-compassion on the go exercises can be helpful for, um, for those moments of stuckness. The struggle I have seen is that in life, People, we do care about different areas in our life. We care about our friendships. We care about parenting. We care about our careers. When a person is prone to deeply care, at times they are trying to hold on to so many things at the same time, right? We dismiss the fact that they have a certain number of hours, that we have limited amount of energy um, every single day. And, and sometimes I have to ask my clients, right, what are we going to focus on this week? What are you intentionally going to pay attention to? And what are we going to say no? Mm. Which is very, very hard because these tough choices definitely requires kindness and sometimes grieving. Sometimes grieving that I have to say no to so also that I care about. And that I have found that that's very, very hard, right? But I think it is important to, to help people to make this distinction and to acknowledge it is humanly impossible for all of us to perfectly live our values in all areas of our lives at all times. We have not designed that like that. I love that idea of grieving. I have not thought about it that way. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think that's a really important idea that when we can't do everything the way we want it to be done, there is grief. Yeah, I can share a personal experience I had a couple of years ago. I certainly deeply care about dissemination. I deeply care about creating resources to show the application of ACT for fear-based struggles that speaks to my heart. And I also deeply care about my connections with people and having rich and rich relationships and hanging out with the people that, that I care about. And during COVID, I got sick. And I got sick to the point that instead of having, I don't know, 14 hours of function during the day, my days shrank to maybe eight hours, seven to eight hours. I will wake up and that's as much as energy I will have because I had low iron levels. So at that time, I will get emails or invitations to give a presentation or I will have sometimes invitations from my friends to go for gatherings or for hikes, but I genuinely know, knew that my body couldn't handle more than seven to eight hours. That was as much as I could do. And if I push it too much, I will feel it. So I remember I got an invitation to give a workshop 
I think it was some procrastination. I don't remember, but it was that really, really tough moment in which I had to navigate the relationship with my body and my health and the relationship with my career. And I knew that I was scared, of course, of saying no to this, to this invitation because I will never be invited again. My mind was telling me all those thoughts, right? What's going to happen? They're going to think I'm rude. So at that time, when I got that email, right, I, I have to, one, I chose to prioritize the relationship with my health and say no to many things, many things that deeply, deeply matter to be given a workshop, participating in another book. And it was tough. It was tough. The grieving came by acknowledging that I was hurting, that the choice that I was making was coming also with, with the pain of saying no to other projects that I wanted to participate on, to acknowledge when sometimes my mind was telling me things like, this is going to be it. You won't get that invitation. The knowledge that my mind will go into this disaster forecaster way of thinking, right? I think that has been extremely helpful in my life, certainly, to make room for that, what comes when we are saying no, and to encourage my clients to make room for the disappointment, the sadness about having to say no to other things. Think about parenting. How often parents have to make all these very, very tough choices. Do I go to the soccer game of my kid? Do I go to this other class, right? Or do I go do this for the family? That's very, very hard, right? What happens when they try to pull into so many directions? And what happens when they kind of slow down and just acknowledge that this is as much as I can do right now? So it's also making room for the sadness, right? Knowing that in that moment, there was a values-based choice. So I, I think grieving comes with acknowledging that we're hurting in some way, like noticing the feeling that comes, noticing what your mind tells you. Usually it's about the future. It's going to be really, really bad. And it's still going back to your values in that moment. And it just dawned on me something that I don't think I've reflected on enough is that often when we make these decisions, the dominant feeling is guilt, that we often feel guilty and we don't pay enough attention to the grief. Like, like as you were talking about, you know, prioritizing your health, and saying no, there's that guilt to say no, or not going to your son's soccer, there's the guilt. But actually, there's also that grief. I'm not participating in things that matter. But we often pause on the guilt and then potentially get self-critical about the guilt and don't give ourselves enough room to grieve and recognize, actually, this is really important stuff, and I'm sad that I don't get to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I think many times when we think about perfectionists, we're thinking about the doers, the go-gathers, the people that make things happen. But with all that, right, what we have is a person that it can be sensitive to getting things done in a particular way. It can be sensitive about duplicate about things. So I think talking about the grieving process of saying no to something that matters can also be very, um, I think, very transformative for people and for all of us. <laughs> Well, we all have some area of our life where we get stuck. I have many, Chris. I don't think <laughs> just one. I have a collection of them. <laughs> well, I, I, I could make a list as well. <laughs> but, you know, something Emma said a moment ago, you know, that something, something mattered. And I think one of, the, one of the things that I've talked about that I, I learned through 
acceptance and commitment therapy was that things things don't matter. We matter about things. Mm. So it's really mattering. It's a verb to matter about something. And so and to, and to be able to say that, I think, is a way of owning that and saying, I'm mattering about my son's soccer game, as opposed to like, I, you know, got to go to my son's soccer game. You know, I, I'm mattering about it. It's, it's a choice. It's part of that bigger constellation of being a good dad, which I matter about. And so, yeah, that's, that's mine. That's my thing. And, you know, maybe next week I won't matter about it. But today, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. today I'm going, even though it's raining. And, you know, as it, as it often is in Seattle during the fall when kids are playing soccer. But, you know, that's what good dads do. True, true. I was just thinking that there is something quite liberating to be able to take ownership about what matters. Like I'm thinking, listening to you, Patricia, and thinking, you know, you give, as you speak of, of individuals who hold these really high expectations, there's a kind of an acceptance and a compassion that this matters. And therefore you will, it makes sense that you will work so hard because it matters. And there's something really important and liberating to be able to put our hands up and going, I'm mattering about this. Actually, it's okay that it matters that I cared so deeply about hosting this amazing dinner party. And it's okay. And it doesn't matter to me if nobody else sees it. It only matters to me. And it matters greatly that, you know, I... I care deeply about how I apply for my courses or and, and giving ourselves permission to care about these things mm-hmm. and to have eyes on all the things that we care. I feel is really validating listening and thinking about all the things that I care versus I think in our community and now with the, the sort of rain to speak of, of social media, there's these competing messages that are really difficult. One is that, you know, you need to care a lot about things. Like you need to care about the environment. You need to care about what's happening in the world. You need to care about all these things. But then the other sort of message that seems to be also a lot of my clients, including myself, struggling with, but don't care too much. Don't work too hard. Think about your self-care. What are you doing for yourself? You know, are you doing enough for you? I had a dear friend, um, we were on a, a walk last night and the night before she'd said to me, I was talking to her about something and she said, but are you doing enough for you? And I thought, I'm not, I'm not doing anything for me. Oh my goodness. I'm failing at that. I'm, I'm doing nothing. And she was like, well, you know, you of all people, you should practice what you preach. And I thought, oh my goodness, you're right. So I went off and spoke to a girlfriend, another friend. I was like, I don't do anything for myself as we're having a cup of coffee together. And she goes, I think this is doing something for yourself. Like, <laughs> I love it. Right. I'm like, that's true. That's also something for myself. And suddenly I could list a whole load of things that I do for myself. And so I went back to my other friend. I said, I do do stuff for myself. And she's like, well, <laughs> I'm not. So the bottom line is that there is such a huge struggle, right? Be it, are we doing too much? Are we doing, you know, are we focusing on doing not in, you know, too little enough time so that we relax? It's like this constant bombardment of mixed messages. And underneath it is a human that cares right. about all of it. That's- I care about me. 
I care about my people. I care about the things that I do. I care about it all. And there's always going to be a drive to do a good job about the things I care. Yeah, Emma, thank you for sharing that. I love this story. I love this story. <laughs> I absolutely love it. <laughs> and as you were sharing, it got me thinking that another aspect of working with perfectionists is really inviting people to radically accept themselves as they are. Because I think the whole world, as you're saying, tells them all types of things. But what happens when a person radically accepts themselves as they are with this proneness to duplicate about what they do and with this proneness to do things right and perfectly? Not because something is wrong, not because something is broken, not because they are neurotic, but just that's how they are. So I think self-acceptance, radical self-acceptance makes a difference also in the work of with high achievers and perfectionistic action. And acceptance is the starting point for being able to move and do things. So it's not just like, okay, I'm not going to like do anything because I'm fine just the way I am. But it's like uh, I heard some mother tell her child, I love you just the way you are, but I love mm. you too much to let you stay that way. <laughs> there we go. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can accept myself and, and that frees me up to be able to move in the directions that are important to me and not do it in a you know way that's toxic. I, I think the, the other side, yeah, the other side, as you were saying, is I accept you too much to let you be that way will become with a change phase, right? In how we approach decisions. I sometimes invite my clients to check whether they are, the way that they're making decisions, are they maximizers or are they satisficers? A maximizer is trying to make the best decision about every single thing. Right, it needs to be. It needs to research a lot. The satisfier will make a good enough decision. The story I have to share there is that one time I needed to replace my TV, and and I went into this maximizing mode. And thanks to Amazon Prime, I bought like five TVs, right, like forty-two inches TVs. Imagine that, right? And they were like the same model with variations: A one, B two, C one. Because I was trying to make the best decision possible for this TV, right? So when dealing with perfectionists, people are prone to maximize every decision in their life, right? It feels like this is a representation of who I am. It's a representation of my character. So we have to distinguish which decisions need to be maximized, which decisions can be satisfied and be good enough. That's another area to, to help people to make a distinction. So did you have five televisions delivered to your house? <laughs> the truth, the answer is yes, I did have. And thanks to Amazon Prime that I have to drag them and bring them back. <laughs> true story, true story. <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. Well, you know, I know yeah. people that they order five of the same thing but in slightly different styles and colors and then they try them on and send the ones they don't want back there we go there we go. Had, we're I, humans <laughs> I, I know people that to buy three guitars the exact same yeah. guitar th but three of them and then they'll because they're all they're all usually a little bit different even if it's the same model and everything and then they'll play out each of them and then decide which one feels best and send the other two back i i, I took us off track but in the few minutes that we have left, we will put information about your books and your podcast on the show notes for this episode. We'll get that up. But any, any other parting words of wisdom for our listeners? 
for any person listening to us that is a go-getter, a high achiever, a doer, a person that makes things happen, I want to strongly invite you to check where it's workable and helpful in your life to pursue your projects and your values in the way that it matters to you and when it's time to let things go. That will be my, my, my tip. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Patricia Zarita Ona, also known as Dr. Z. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Yes, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me in your podcast and such a rich conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being with us and for sharing some of your personal things as well. I love those stories. They're always great. You're very kind. You're very kind. The whole world will know about me buying five TVs now. (laughs) Well, I think it's a great example. It's a great example. Maximizer indeed. Thanks so much for tuning into the Life's Dirty Little Secrets podcast. If you have any feedback for us or secrets for future episodes, you can email us at lifesdirtylittlesecretspodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Life's Dirty Little Secrets or on Facebook at Life's Dirty Little Secrets Podcast. We invite you to follow, rate, and review us on wherever you listen to this podcast. It is the best way to get our podcast out in front of new listeners. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more. See See you you then. then.